You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Shine. 1995. So that's been. That's when I first came. 27 years. And then when I was running steady over the road, I was away from the church for what, four years, five years? You play bass back then? No, actually, I, I sang in the worship team back then. You sing? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Can you still? Am I not? No, you're fine. I'm finding myself compelled to sing a little bit more. There's three or four tunes in our book that I have a hard time sitting still for. What did you do in the Navy? I was a musician. In the Navy? You were like in the Navy band? Yeah. He was. Isn't that awesome? That is so cool. That's what I did. Wow. I was supposed to go to Kent State for, I was supposed to be a music education major. And I mean, I was already auditioned, accepted, pick up your books and go to class kind of thing. And I spent 7 through 12 in Hanover going to United, you know, rural area. But I don't know if you remember back when all these rural areas had volunteer fire, fire companies. Well, every summer, my dad was involved heavily in the firemen's festivals. At those firemen's festivals, the armed forces recruiters would set up their little trailer or tent or whatever. And I met a Navy recruiter between my senior year of the summer after my senior year of high school. And my brothers and I kind of got roped into helping out. You know, we were kind of gophers for, for my dad and the guys that were. But my dad used to work the poker tent. And my brother and I stopped into the poker tent. And the Navy recruiter was sitting at the table playing a hand of cards with my dad. He pointed me out and he says, that, there's one of mine there. And so, the, you know, the Navy guy was cordial and Hi, how you doing? Everything, and what's your what, what's your plans? And I said, Well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to into music edu- music education at Kent State starting in the fall. Do you ever think about the Navy? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, We well, you know well, the Navy has the music pro- you know, their, their music program and everything, and I, I I knew about them, but only in passing. And uh, he said, You know, if you're you know the right talented individual, he says I can set up an audition for you if you think you'd be interested. You know, I was just being polite, and I said, well, you know, thanks for the offer. But over the next couple of weeks, my dad had asked, you know, did, did you call that Navy guy? But anyway, so a couple of weeks later, I called him and said, uh, you had mentioned being able to arrange an audition for me. Is that is that still a possibility? Oh, sure. They flew me to Chicago for the audition at the training the training facility north of Chicago. A week later, he said, he said, well, we like what we hear. And he said, if you're, if you're interested, we can offer you this, you know, and guaranteed schooling. And, and they said, all you got to do is just keep your qualifications and get through the school, you know, go from there. Yeah. The armed forces has a music school in Virginia on the amphibious base down there at Little Creek. Were you in like the marching band? I did a little of everything. That's cool. You're in one of those service bands. You do you do concert bands. You do dance bands. You do marching what did you bands. Play? I auditioned on tuba oh. and but played tuba and trombone and electric bass. Did you know he played the tuba? Yes. Why don't we have I've some heard tuba? This story. It was a good time. 
it worked out. I was that was last year of the lottery draft. I think was seventy, seventy one, seventy two. But I enlisted and was actually through boot camp while I was still seventeen. But on my eighteenth birthday, my draft number came out, come out and it was thirty eight. So, if you're in the, like the bottom twenty percent, chances are you're going to get the call. You would have being, gone anyhow. Being a musician kept me from having to shoot anybody. So, I like that part of it. Where'd you travel? All over. Stationed two years stateside and two years in Italy. I lived in Italy for a couple of years and we traveled over there. Most all of Europe, North Africa, the Middle East. And then there was, this was back in the days of Glasnost and Perestroika. What became, what was the beginning of the fall of the Soviet Union? Two Soviet ships came into Boston and two U.S. ships went into Leningrad which is St. Petersburg. And I was on one of the ships that went into into Russia. So that was pretty cool. We spent a week there. We were just riding. We were TDY with the ship just to get in there. And then we had band, band jobs, music jobs off the ship. And we, we played on the ship too, but then we out amongst the Russians and all that stuff. It was a good time. Quite an education too. Um, and see, this, this is back when the Jesus movement was happening here. Well, it was happening around the world. Because that's initially when I became a Christian. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Bet. Are we sounding like Bob tonight? Well, it's a three-letter word, but oh, okay, okay, okay. Bob. What uh, I would be? <laughs> no, we're not doing it right. <laughs> well, I mean, if you were just inserting an O, it'd be both. It's both. It's caught. And we are here with <laughs> Bob Murphy. Welcome, Bob. Thank you. So glad to have you here tonight. Yeah. Bob was born and lived in the East Palestine area through sixth grade. He moved to Hanoverton and went to United High School from seventh through twelfth grade. When he graduated, he joined the U.S. Navy and he served in the Navy from 1971 to 1975. He was a musician in the Navy. After the Navy, He started driving truck and was a truck driver for over 40 years. He's retired now. Bob has been married to Rhonda for 46 years. They have four kids and six grandkids. He's been at the Upper Room since 1995. He's on our worship team. He's the bass player on our worship team. He loves music, mechanics, games, and puzzles. So thanks for coming. Did I write 46 there or 40 years? It does say 40. It's dark in here. I'm, I'm sure we're hopeful for 46. 40 years. Rhonda and him have been married for 40 years. And so, speaking of liking games, he was just introduced to Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza. Oh, my goodness. I'm the worst at that game. It's a new fun game. So he's enjoyed that. We really enjoy that game. I feel like we always end up on the floor laughing. Are you it's good at so it? It's so funny. Well, I lost first, every round when first, I played. First time I played it was Thanksgiving. <laughs> I didn't win anything. Oh, I thought you were like, I crushed it and won everything. <laughs> no. no. You have to be an aggressive one to play Taco Cat Go Cheese Pizza. You, yeah, know? you, you really got to stay on top of it. I mean, it ended up we played with five of us. Me and Rhonda and Bo and Kate and Caleb. Okay. I'm thankful. If you need my- some stocking stuffers for your kids, check out the game. It's a card game. It's a slapping card game. Taco, coat, cheese, mouse, gorilla. goat, cheese, pizza. (laughs) Great, great. What are you thankful for? That my family trims their fingernails. Oh. (laughs) 
because we were. You know, it's then, vicious. You know, you're, it's a fun game, though. It's so fun. Lots of laughing. So tell us, Bob, who or what turned your light on? Well, you know, I thought about hard about that, and I, more than any one person, music. It was music that got that pretty much got me in a position to do everything that I've done. That's how you got connected to Jesus through music. Yeah, indirectly. Tell us about that. But it, there's also a lot of parallels in my spiritual walk and in my career as a musician. Stuff that made things make a little bit more sense. But the the part that, that got me into that was by having that gift, and I really think it was, that got me into the Navy. I would have been involved, been involved in music either way, but getting into the Navy and being able to do that was, you know, that, that just opened the door to the world. I think more than any one thing, it was the experience I got out of that, just in where I got to go and what I got to see. Those were opportunities I never would have had without it, without the Navy. Did you meet Christians along the way? I can't remember if you grew up in church or not. Like- I grew up Catholic. I went to the Catholic school in East Palestine until the fourth grade. And, and see, this was back when the parochial school education was the sought-after thing. You know, the private school, the parochial school. You were supposed to get like a, a better overall education. And of course, with parochial schools, it had faith, you know, came into play there too. But for whatever reason, I don't think that's the way it was working out for us at East Palestine. I mean, when I left Catholicism, and I can't, you know, it's not like any specific day or time when I left Catholicism, you you know, we kind of grew away from it. I believed in God, but God was out there. The part that aggravated me for years, like for many years, was not only did I not have a personal relationship with God, but how dare I think I should, or how dare I think I could. The long and short of it is that's exactly what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to have. Right. And I was upset with Catholics for, for that. Who the, was it that introduced liturgy. you to the personal relationship? When the Jesus movement was happening here, it was happening all over the world. And it was, you know, thankfully, people came into my circle of friends and into my path that were spiritually much more mature than I was. We kind of discovered all this together, and it was it was nigh open. At the time it was happening, that was before it was it's pretty powerful pretty powerful time. I got out of the navy in seventy five, and backslid you know the way a fresh Christian <laughs> would you know to the counterculture of the sixties seventies eighties that sort of thing. I didn't come here until ninety five. It was John Klein that brought me here. Remember John and Kim Klein? Oh, yeah. Were you walking with God at that time? No. The food co-op truck used to come to our house. And then my wife and Kim would divvy everything up, you know, and figure out where it went. And then we'd, we'd all deliver food and all that. That's the only way I knew Kim. I'd never met John. Well, one day I was outside out, out in the yard mowing. And this old kind of tattered looking motorhome come cruising up out of town. I seen it slowing down. And I thought, well, you know, here's certainly a lost tourist, you know. <laughs> And But when it pulled in the driveway, it just pulled right down the driveway and behind my, my wife's car and stopped. And it wasn't until she stepped out of the other side with the kids, I assumed who he was because I knew who she was. They hadn't been there 10 minutes, and he asked me if I'd ever heard of Promise Keepers. 
And I said, yeah, because at that time, my church was Christian radio because I was in, in the truck all the time. And I'd heard a lot about it, but I'd never been to one of the things. And he said, they're going to be in Pittsburgh in two weeks. You want to go? Before they left, I had committed to go. I went there with him and end up coming here the weekend after the first time. But that's that's what brought me here. So and when you were in the Navy and got saved, did you walk with Jesus for a long time? No. You know, just fast and hot the way it is when, you know, sometimes when you have that. I was just reading that in Luke today. About flash in the pan. The so different types of soil, you know, the mm-hmm. seed gets mm-hmm. scattered and some of it takes root, but shrivels up and dies because it's it an odd thing. You well, know, it doesn't take root, I guess. When it happened to us over there, thankfully, it, it never died. And I think the only reason it didn't get any stronger there was because I left. That's why I came back here and started working for my dad and with my brother with the trucks. You backslide, you know, you fall away from it. But it there was really so much that happened in about a, a year's time that that was really a, you know, it really settled in to where it wasn't completely out of my mind. I ended up with a lot more questions, of course, than I had answers for. But was caught up in the day-to-day, you know, the work-a-day, have a life and be self-confident and self-sufficient and all those selves you have to overcome to really step out spiritually that I had to deal with for the next 20 years. So tell us, Bob, what lights you up? I was going to say music for that one too, but I think it's more worship and, you know, music and worship. I haven't had anything really excite me like that for longer than I can remember. But there's, like I said, you know, there's four or five, maybe a half a dozen songs in our whole book that I cannot sit still for. I mean, that. (laughs) Which ones? Christ is risen. Hope for everyone. The bridge of the choruses. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Oh, King of Kings. There you go. That's another one. I found that I had some health problems in the early 80s that had left me with some pretty serious nervous dysfunction for a while. And when I got to playing again, I had got away from music for roughly 20 years. Sold my gear, you know, just didn't do it for quite a period of time. <clears throat> and I was back, I was at the, I came to the, when I came to the upper room is actually when I started again in 95. When I first started on the worship team, all I did was sing. And I thought about trying to play keyboards as well. But my piano chops are gone. I mean, I can still get from here to there, simply, very simply. But to do that and sing it, it wasn't, you know, doesn't work. And I've and I've found myself the same way with playing bass and singing. I pretty much have to have the bass part hardwired to where it's all muscle memory, so they can concentrate on the singing because my voice is not as disciplined as it once was. You should see the guys light up though. We'll do our practice on a Tuesday night or a Sunday morning. We'll get through our songs. But then you give them a couple of minutes of downtime. And it's my favorite part because then they start chatting about all these bands they're watching and listening to. Or like the latest guy that Christian's found. Or Greg's a big, you know, YouTube guy. So he finds all these random instrumentalists. That's what, that's, I, don't, I, I don't hardly listen to much radio, but... YouTube music? Oh, yeah. So they're walking around. Have you listened to this? You listen to this? You got to listen to this guy. Greg's got his phone out, you know, 
And so it's so fun to watch all of these people who I do feel kind of have the same thing in common where like music lights them up and that's what inspires them. You can play music forever. So I never get tired of it. And they're always so excited to find someone well, to else me, it's not, else. It's not just the plan. It, it's, you know, music just opened my eyes about just all kinds of worldly things. But, geez, I've been so blessed to play with world-class musicians. Mm. The Armed Forces Music Program is a very select group. They even have their best of the best kind of groups within. You know, the guys that spend their careers in Washington, D.C. at the Navy Band. I've known several of those guys and played with them. And I, I, I long for those times because the more really dedicated people that are the technical masters of their instruments, because I learned music theory and all that stuff too, and it, it was okay. But in the end, it's, it's the music itself. And when, you, when you're around, you know, I always strive to, to play and work with people that are better than me because you just – you learn so much by accident. That, but the other thing about music is, is the power of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what really, really opened my eyes back at a time when I was just doing it for me. I mean, I, I still recognize the power of it. And then when, you know, then when it came to music and worship, wow, <laughs> it was a good time. But there, there, there's something at a certain point in the the technical part of it, the playing music part of it, the performance part of it, regardless of the size of the ensemble, when it comes together right, there's something else going on there. And that's, to me, that's one of the proofs of God. And and that was what got me. One of the things, you know, that some people ask simplistically is, well, you know, how is it possible that so many billion people can be praying at the same time and God will hear every single prayer? Well, did you ever listen to an orchestra? With an ear, you can hear every single part. And then you can hear it all together. There's something about that that transcends the physical act. To me, that's when it becomes spiritual. And I think what's so fascinating is that, you know, what I notice is being on the worship team and being being able to play with people who are really good, who are very good at their craft. The technicality and the mastery of it only leads to more creativity, which I think is always so such a beautiful thing. And I feel like that itself even is kind of a point to God. You know, like it doesn't matter. The better and better the mastery you have, like the more creative. I'd just love to watch you guys Because play. it gives you a better foundation to step out from. You right. know, to me, that's the way that, I mean, my history is being a classically trained musician, but it's also contemporary music as well the drums and the bass anyway. It's pretty much the rhythm section, they call it, you know, but it's, it's the foundation. It's the beat and the bottom. And the more sound that is, the tighter that is, the more it provides for anything that you add on. And all you have to do is lay that down. And I think it, it's a comfort. It comforts as well as builds up someone to play or perform at their level of ability they have and take a step out every once in a while. You know, just try this or try this. That's always what improves you. 
it's not just hours and hours of practice, although that's, you know, a lot of it, but it's be, being willing to step out as far as contemporary music goes. I mean, there's all kinds of rules and regulations in music theory about, you know, when you're classically trained about stuff you're supposed to do and stuff you're not supposed to do. But in contemporary music, the sky's the limit. That's what I appreciate so much about you on the worship team. For as well-trained as you, you are, you could be like, no, that's the wrong way to do it. Or no, I'd rather not. But instead, <laughs> you know, Rob's like, how are we going to end the song today? And I'll say, I don't know. Just play around and we'll see how it goes. And that works. And Bob just nods his head and he says, okay. <laughs> the thing that used to bother me about this, like early on when I first came here, was everybody carried on about, well, this isn't supposed to be like a, a show. It's not supposed to be like a performance. Well, actually it is in a certain way. I mean, your audience is one. So in that respect, it is. But like where I was talking about the foundation, there's a structure to music. You know, there's, and it doesn't have to be just like plain old four, four time, you know, but without that, any of those specifics, there's still a structure to it. And the structure is, is part of that sure foundation, that sure basis to build off of. And when I first came, I thought saying that we're going to do as the spirit moves to me was like making an excuse for not being a little bit more confident, you know, not taking the time to practice your part or to over, well, whatever happens is God's will, you know, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I bet the spirit's right on top of it, though. <laughs> well, okay. Look, no, like I said, this is when I first came here. No. And I didn't see. No, I meant like. She's agreeing the, with you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is wisdom and creativity and precision yes. and it's all in, awesomeness, all in, you know. All and so if you're really doing it in the spirit, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Well, the, and that's the and part. Excellent. Yes, yeah, I and that's that. and that's the part that I'm. I think I still deal, still deal with that to a point. You know, my you know my praying for myself is pretty much just for discernment, just to be aware of the movement, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. because I've seen what you know can happen when mm -hmm. when it all comes together. It's and that and that's I think that's my biggest stumbling block is not I don't know is not being able to discern at times whether it's whether it's working or not. Takes a lifetime, eh? Yeah, doesn't it? So tell us, Bob, how are you letting your light shine in this season right now? Well, I haven't shot anybody this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. Last year's You're so doing been, good. You're doing good. <laughs> last year's been pretty hectic with the COVID and all that stuff. But being able to being able to come here, you know, on a regular basis and worship and see you and see you. And uh, and Chris, of course. I mean, you know, just there's times where I just like to be in his presence and wait for him to say something. You yeah. know, when he's at the pulpit, I'm I'm completely his. When I talked before about the music in worship, one of the things the men's retreat, mm -hmm. Jeremy had asked me was me being part of the worship team. And when we're in the worship experience, do we feel the attack? Do we feel the enemy? Because the enemy will hit you wherever you, you know, which hit you hit you where you live. And I said I'd have to say no worship here for me always renews me and and it does so in a way that regardless of the details it always makes me feel like i get more than i give it grounds me it renews me it strengthens me calms me at times you know at the same far, time you're ministering to the body and you are letting your light shine mm -hmm, here mm -hmm. 
to me, that's worship evangelism. That's, yeah. that's, that's an effective witness. Thankful I found that book, you know, quite a few years ago, too. That was, that was pretty good. The book Worship Evangelism, we went through that a while. And then my interactions with family and friends has really been limited with the COVID scare and everything as, as far as getting out. But, you know, I st still try to be an effective witness when I'm, you know, dealing with family members at whatever stage of the spiritual walk they're at. Was was thankful that we had the, the men's retreat. Just what brought me here was John Klein taking me to a Promise Keepers. But it was the Promise Keepers event at the time. And I and back then, I didn't know it was so controversial as it turned out to be. And there was a lot of people that didn't have anything good to say about Promise Keepers. But I didn't get that from it at all. And to me, it was one of the most eye-opening, reaffirming, strengthening things that could have possibly happened for Christian men. And I was impressed enough with it after John took me that year that the next year I bought a block of tickets myself and invited nine nine men that I knew that were at various stages in their spiritual walk. The biggest takeaway for me was, you know, you could get some strength and some comfort out of the fact that, you know, there was 50,000 men there, 50,000 Christian men at some point in their spiritual walk, whether they was fresh or whether they was teenagers or grade schoolers or 80-year-old great-grandfather, whatever. And we were all in this venue ironically a sports venue you know rooting for the same team uh and there was there was power in that power in that and when we went to the retreat that's we all talked about some things this and that but one of the takeaways was and i told them all i said take comfort in this that we can do this you know the worse the worse the world gets but i do think that's another way that you shine with your family and the men in your family you just remain consistently involved and you ask a lot of questions and you're very open and there's a lot of conversation and the mm -hmm. same things that you mm -hmm. enjoy, you know, at the men's retreat. I just feel like you do that naturally in your daily life with your... We well, yeah, but not enough because, I mean, we have, I think we you know, my family's like any enough. other. I mean, we have the members, certain members of the family have issues and everything and yeah. and we try to be supportive of each other. But, you know, we try. It's just that there's definitely a need for more of that, even within my own family. And I suppose I'm self, if I'm self-conscious about how ineffective a witness I can be sometimes, it's because of that. My two brothers especially, you know, we all came to Christ like from a different direction, you know, through different doors, I think. And, and yet I don't question either of my brother's faith, but we have our issues. But you, but you still shine. You know, I get to the point where I'm confident and comfortable. I'm not really content. I don't know if, if part of that is just being too critical. I think it's not. But I, like early on, you know, when I was really evangelical within, and that's what, you know, the place I was in my spiritual walk, you know, there's, I don't know if everybody comes to that or not. But for me, there was a period of time where you just couldn't talk about it enough. I was trying to do it. I wasn't trying to let the spirit move me. I was trying to find something clever to say or something that I thought would be profound, if only for a second or so. <laughs> there was just so many, so many times where I just, when I when I finally realized that that I could do nothing, it's like you know when you pray for the right thing to say, and you're all locked up in that. 
and you're on your way somewhere, you know, and because you're thinking about where you're going, you know, and what you're going to say when you get there, you know, and then the wisdom of the Holy Spirit says, just get out of the truck, Bob. <laughs> take, <laughs> take the first step. I mean, when you do that and you step out of the truck, then, then it just happens. I mean, I count the number of times on one hand that I think I've had a profound impact in, in some way like that. There again, it's what happens every day that should be considered miraculous that we take for granted. Um. Hey, last question then. Do you have a supernatural story experience that you'd like to share? Story? Yeah. I think what, what amounted to my one Holy Spirit moment, and it yeah. was really, really moments, happened... 93, 90. It was before I came here. I used to truck with my neighbor, the old timer that died last year. Mm. And back then, my church was Christian radio. I didn't have a home church. I was contemptuous of any organized religion because I was of the mind back then that it seemed like all these churches, these churches, you know, these places, these institutions, seem to have a 12-step plan for you becoming a member in good standing of their church. And if salvation came along the way, that was really good too. And I felt that way pretty much about, I didn't care whether you was Lutheran or Methodist or Catholic or Presbyterian. You know, to me, that was just another... <laughs> a membership at Sam's Club. Yeah. So it was actually my church on the, on the road in the truck was Christian Radio. And the good side of that was I listened to... I don't know, probably six or eight people regularly. But I listened to them from the East Coast to the Midwest all the time. I mean, I had the presets on my radio was for every Christian, like whatever Caleb is now. You know, Caleb's how many different channels. But the presets on my radio was from the Eastern Seaboard to the, and I really didn't usually run any farther west than St. Louis Missouri and the Mississippi, as far north and south as you want to go, down into Texas and some of that. But and depending on where you were at what time of day was who was on the radio. But there were some regulars, Chuck Swindoll and Charles Stanley and David Jeremiah, Tony Evans. I could hear the same message a half a dozen times in the same week and maybe not get it the first three times I heard it by different speakers but would hear it presented in just a different light, you know, just from like a different angle and, you know, have just, of course, <laughs> and, and get it. And, and I was really thankful for that. I mean, there was, uh, there was a lot of growth that happened then. But one of, the, one of the things about my neighbor that I trucked with all the time was we worked for a company big enough that they had a lot of freight going a lot of different directions. There was times we left the house on Sunday and was really never out of each other's sight until we got home the following Saturday. I mean, we get somewhere, unload. Even if we were leaving for different places on Sunday, if we were going in the same direction, we knew that after we were empty, we were going to end up at the same place to load back, or roughly the same place. But, and of course, you knew you was loading to go west. You know, this is back in cell phones' infancy back then. We've been each other's ear a lot, because he's, he's like a fire and brimstone old-timer, as fundamental just as you can be, but he's bullheaded and he's stubborn and, and he's, he's he's set in his in his faith and you know he's one of those women can't be pastors kind kind of guys you know he's old timey and but there were so many times when his point of view about this was part of my growth 
to where I'd hear this and just immediately be, and then, but then I'd hear some version of that from a different angle and understand what he meant when he said it. Anyway, one of the shows I listened to all the time was Focus on the Family with James Dobson. And he had a guest on that was a person that was really involved, had a really busy, active ministry, but there was big venues, you know, and he was a powerful speaker and all this. Well, he, he ended up with some affliction that affected his voice to where this, this powerful voice of God just became little more than a breathy whisper. But his ministry was successful enough that people still wanted him to come, but they would customize the sound system settings to facilitate his effectively almost, almost gone voice. And he was given a commencement speech somewhere and was actually healed during the speech. He's a guest on Focus on the Family, and they, they're playing the tape of him giving this commencement speech at a university or something like that, where his healing came in the midst of this. I was rabid. I mean, I was completely... And I'm in the truck in downtown Baltimore, and... The reason that he was on Focus on the Family with James Dobson, they, he was trying to explain how, you know, he was he was a successful, active, productive Christian witness, evangelist, believer, defender of the faith, you know, apologist. And when this affliction happened, he thought, you know, and had enough faith in the healing power of the Holy Spirit and everything for a certain period of time until he realized he was wrong. And it was in that realization that he's communicating in the speech that when being in the pit, talked about being down in the pit, the on the word pit was when he was healed. And his voice came back within seconds and it, it freaked him out as much as it freaked me out. And he was overcome in the middle of this commencement speech with his own healing and how he had absolutely nothing to do with it. And I'm in the truck and I'm just in tears. And, but there was a, a matter of a few seconds there that made that the most profound experience of my life. There were answers. I mean, I got, I mean, you know, say what you will, doubt if you will, but that was my whole experience, Holy Spirit experience right there. My, that was a genuine visitation. You know, I had you know, plenty of time and all by myself in the truck to talk to myself the way I usually did to figure all this out. But it worked out that when I got back to the terminal and met up with the old timer neighbor of mine, I met up with a guy from Newcastle who drove truck and was a part-time pastor at a church plant in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And we were talking about it, and, and they weren't steering me any direction. But it took talking to them to realize the single biggest obstacle you overcome in your spiritual walk is yourself. When that happened, when I was listening on the radio, I think was probably the only time in my life that I was completely selfless. I was caught up. I was just... If I didn't have to steer the truck, and I, and I, I was, I mean, I was in traffic, you know, I had to really work at what I was doing, you know, there for a few seconds because I had to get off the road. I mean, had I not been steering the truck, both hands would have been in the air, would have been in the air, 
And I was just thrilled for the guy and just awestruck at the power of the Holy Spirit and the way this was done and how it, the way this guy could communicate that. But it was, it was that episode on Focus on the Family that was really the, the profound moment of my life. But we were, actually the three of us ended up, we had loaded out of Baltimore for Chicago, all loaded the same place in Chicago, went out there. This is like, this is a couple weeks later, but there was a place near where we unloaded. There was room for three of us to park and buy a little diner. So we were sitting at the gate when they opened in the morning, first thing. So we were the first three trucks in and we already had our stuff uncovered and pretty much unfastened. All we had to do was pull in and have the crane set them off and pull out. So we were over at the diner at 7.15 and had buttoned all our stuff up and went in to have breakfast. Well, it just worked out that dispatch was slow and they had, you know, it was a Monday or whatever it was, but, you know, they had a lot of trucks. So we had a few hours to kill there at this little diner, you know, just across the Indiana line in Illinois there. Uh, And the weather was great and everything. So we had our breakfast and we went outside and there was a little, a little cemetery and chapel but there were picnic tables out there. And we went out there and was talking for quite a while. I had only seen him the day that this had happened. Talking got around to that. And he said, you know what, anything else, you know, in the last whatever couple of weeks or how long, however long it had been exciting like that. And I said, well, no, I said, that was <laughs> pretty serious. I said, you know, it can renew you and to be more aware of, you know, what's possible. And he said, well, he says, is that the sort of thing you you know, you would like to make happen again? Well, yes and no. <laughs> yes, because, you know, <laughs> it was great the first time, I'm sure, to be just, you know, as equally, equally profound the second time. But I also know that it's completely out of my hands to do that. It ain't up to me to make that happen. Right. It's up to me to provide the, we talked about this in worship team, It's a, it's up to, me or us, whatever, to, to remove whatever obstacles or fertilize the soil, till the garden, you know, yep. for that to happen again. And the thing about it is, getting back to here, is there's been a few times in worship where I've gone back there. Honestly, I don't think as profound as it was then, just because when it happened then, it was, you know, it was the, you know, it was the... It was the big thing of my life at that time. But I've come real close to that in worship, only in worship. In no other part of my spiritual walk, if I, I don't think I even come close to that. There's a place I go only in worship. And that's, We're, I'm really thankful for that, by the way. Well, and I'm thankful that you are on the worship team and that you yeah. share your talents and your skills and your gifts with us yeah. and create an atmosphere for the rest of us to enter into that. Yes. I We are so blessed by all our musicians here at the oh, Upper I Room. I don't know if you've gone somewhere else where, <laughs> where they're not experts and you're like, you. Well, that was it. There was... But we're really, we are really blessed by our musicians here. And so, Bob, we really appreciate you coming and sharing your story, part of your story with us. And so glad that you are, have been a part of the worship team and mm-hmm. you're a long, you're a long timer here <laughs> Yeah, in the 90s, so good, but though. it's been, it's been great talking to you and we really appreciate your presence and what you bring to our body and yeah. It's been great. 
So. Well, I thank Bob Bertelson for that, too, because he, he actually brought me back. Oh, thanks, I, Bob. Even after I got off the road there when I was, I'd started running local again. I was still scattered there for a while when he started the other worship team down at the other end when we had two services. Yeah. He's the one that brought me back. Oh, my gosh. John well, Klein, Bob. Bob Bertelson. But just like the power of an invitation. Just throw that out yeah. as we close. Power and an invite. So if you're thinking of somebody, there's one. There's there's, an invite and there's something unique about the upper room too. I mean, that's when I left the upper room at the first time was when I I had bought another truck and I was going to be running over the road more, where I was going to be gone for weeks at a time. Um, Because at the time, that seemed like the the thing to do to not just to maintain what I had. I had to step out a little bit more. But then one of the things I was actually kind of looking forward to for a while was no matter where I was on Sunday, go to the local phone directory and find the nearest service. That, you know. And I, I was looking for contemporary, and that was kind of disheartening. You know, I went to these churches. It was I remember Easter. You know, Easter's kind of a big deal for us, you know. <laughs> and it talked about this whole worship celebration and everything, and that was, you know, the— I thought, well, that's where I need to be on Sunday, you know, because it was Easter Sunday and I was 800 miles from home or something like that. So I dropped the trailer and Sunday morning got tidied everything up and got in the truck and drove down and found this church, drove down into the church. And, geez, it was the most disappointing Sunday, <laughs> Easter Sunday ever. <laughs> it was, you know, the, you know, I went to, you know, I don't know how many different churches, like Lutheran churches, Methodist church, you know, whatever. And honestly... They didn't have, not one of them had what's going on here. And it's not that I think y'all are saints. The second time, in fact, I don't know if I've told you this. The second time I came to church here, when I left that day, uh, I was determined I was never coming back because you guys were out there. Yeah. It was chaotic. It had to have been 90, 95. I'm walking to my car thinking, well, it's been fun. See ya. And I didn't come back the following week, but, you know, that's one of the things that that kept me here was there's something going on here that's not going on in a lot of bigger, better denominational churches that, and and I think it's, of course, it's the Holy Spirit, but it's also, this, this church isn't a franchise. And I'm not saying that a small, independent, non-denominational church is the way to go. Because that just opens the door to all kinds of mischief as far as who decides what. That's why I think there's something special going on here. Because, I mean, I've just been witness to to you and, and to you and your husband and your parents. And all the Streeflers, Chuck Hamilton, you know, Ron Myers, Greg and Marta. And the eldership here, and, and this is one of the things that I like about a potential for a growth in men's ministry is... Holding each other accountable. To me, that's critical. That being conscious of false teaching and holding each other to a higher standard. And knowing that, that we should be holding each other to a higher standard because we're witnessing. We're, evangel- we're evangelists here. And we should be held to a higher standard. But I think that that's done here so lovingly. I mean, with so much love. It's not, it's special. I think it's special. We we better let you go and get your meal in the car. Oh, I'm, I'm in no hurry. Growling. I'm, 
Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.